Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Welcome everybody to another episode of Enterprising Families and in this episode we have Martin Stepek and I always enjoy my conversations with Martin because I am always thoughtful when I'm speaking to you and although you may not notice it uh, it's because of the many discussions we've had on mindfulness. Welcome Martin. Thanks very much Titsi. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And I would like you to. I would like to give you the floor to introduce yourself and the most important work that you do. I think it's really important, especially during this time where we've faced 2020 head-on without terms and conditions. Read. Mm, sure. Well, I guess unwittingly, I've become something of a unique person in that I was born into a family business. I tried my best to resist joining the family business, failed in that endeavour to to avoid it, and then ended up becoming co-owner and director of our family business, second generation, 350 employees based in Scotland, as you could probably guess from the accent. And after about a decade in the family business, I was aware of the stress and the frustrations that was building in me with regard to family issues more than business issues. And I looked around and found eventually mindfulness, to cut a long story short. That was in 1998. By 2006, I was very steeped in it, in the learning, and I was asked to become a mindfulness teacher, initially with Tibetan Buddhist group, and then on the secular scientific front. And so I've taught that since 2004. The following year, 2005, with a couple of other family business owners, we set up a charity, the Scottish Family Business Association, to help other family businesses avoid going through the challenges and the pains that we had gone through. And in that interim period, in the late 90s to early 2000s, I also studied family business theory and systems Um, for five years while director of our family business. Now, mostly, I focus on helping people through mindfulness for two reasons. One is I think it's the most important thing, piece of work I do, which is to help people be well and happy. The second thing is it forces me to be mindful, and it keeps my practice going on a very regular basis. um, And it's a pleasure to do it. It's very fulfilling and very rewarding. Okay, I keep hearing you say the word mindful, and I understand the word mindful, but I'm sure not everybody understands what the word mindful means and what is actually practicing mindfulness. Can you just um, explain that for us to give us a bit more clarity? Absolutely, and it is commonly misunderstood. Mindfulness is just a natural human trait. So We have things like anger, we have laughter, we have happiness, we have sadness, we have grief. 
we also have mindfulness. Mindfulness is simple, pure awareness. So just now, I'm in a very fortunate and rare position of looking out my window in Scotland in October, and it's sunny. I'm aware it's sunny. I can see the autumn leaves, yellow and brown and orange and red, and it's gorgeous. That beauty and that enjoyment comes from noticing. Simple as that. So we've got five senses with which we can notice, and we also have a sixth version, which is looking at our own mind. Now, everybody's got that. The problem is that it's not particularly well developed as a deliberate trait. What is well developed and is naturally strong in us is an automatic reaction to things. So it's a kind of subconscious awareness. You see this often when you're looking at something and out of the corner of your eye you see movement. You haven't noticed what it is, but it's triggered and you look and you see. Now this is an ancient part of the brain that's doing that. And this automatic part is looking out for danger, primarily. Also opportunity, so that if you imagine going back thousands, tens of thousands of years, then life survival depended on noticing danger quickly and being able to get away from it, or noticing opportunity and grabbing that food before someone else did. So we have this ancient brain that, that dominates our lives. That's what produces all the reactions, the overreactions. And I think, for, especially in a family business context, because we're so intimately connected with our siblings, our parents, our children, our cousins, and people that we've employed probably for 30, 40 years, that we are now dealing with people mostly in an automatic, unthinking way. We think we're thinking, but we're not. So mindfulness is the trait of more deliberate, wiser, slower, more inclusive ways of thinking, communicating, listening, and being. When you try to do that, it's really hard because we haven't built up the muscle of it, if you like, the skill of it. So the practicing of mindfulness is like practicing learning lessons. You have to do it repeatedly so that your mind gets used to doing it and gets better at doing it. Once that starts to come into play, you get a whole series of benefits, which we'll come to. Awesome. And I'm just reflecting on what you said about how in family businesses, mindfulness becomes very an intricate journey because you have so many different what can I say, a web of people around you. And um, being conscious around those people is not something we naturally do. It's not something that um, we do on, on reflex. It's something that uh, has to be practiced. What do you think are the most important ways in which we can practice mindfulness, especially in situations where you have families um, or family members that you have to deal with on a daily basis, and there's conflict there. Mm. I think, to quote someone much, much more mindful than I am, um, Gandhi 
once famously said that he hesitated speaking in public because every time he was about to say something, he had to stop and look into his mind to see what he was about to say to determine whether it was worth saying or not. And I think that is both the hardest and the most important trait when anyone is speaking to anyone, but especially within a family business context because of the the depth and the layers of automatic thinking and assumptions that we make about each other in a family. Because, I mean, I was one of 10 children. So these other nine siblings of mine, I've known them from either my birth or their birth. And by the time you're 10, you're making assumptions about who they are, what they're thinking, and let alone getting into um, working age. So the ability to pause instead of responding immediately. Now, in terms of responding immediately, either when you want to initiate a discussion or whether you're responding to someone else's discussion. And I can't remember now who it was, but one famous psychologist once said that we should always dump the first thought because it's never usually good. You know, and that's a, that's a big lesson for us to learn because nearly all of us just blurt out the first thing that pops up in our head. Now, if we could just do that, if we could notice what we're about to say and analyse it, just gently in our own head think, is that going to help this situation? How is that going to feel on the receiving end of this? And if it doesn't take the well-being of everyone slightly further forward, then don't put it in because that's the ultimate aim of all conversation, certainly within a family, is to nurture the whole in the right direction. And if it doesn't do that, it's not worth doing it at all. It's not worth saying it, which probably means that, myself included, 90% of all conversations should not happen. 90% of conversations should not happen. Wow. And I'm just thinking that's a, that's a big chunk of conversations that, that should not happen. And when it comes to not blurting out the first thing that comes in mind, is there anything that people can do outside interaction that helps with mindfulness? And when I'm asking this, I'm thinking I've heard of people practicing meditation. I've heard people taking time out. I know I'm infamous for sending my children for time out to think about what they've just done. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking, what other ways can people engage in that will help them, especially when they come to a point where they can then realize that in this moment, right now, I need to be mindful? Lovely question. I think there it's important to distinguish two aspects of mindfulness. Um, and if I can do a, a sporting analogy, 
I used to play a lot of football, soccer, when I was younger. And it was serious. Just hold on I, a second. Sorry, I'm just no being unmindful. Um, are you a Manchester United fan by any chance? <laughs> I loved them when I was a child. Okay. Um, I actually, the first live football game I watched on television was Manchester United beating Benfica in the European Cup final in 1968. Uh-huh. Um, I am um, a Hamilton academical football fan, which probably is slightly less famous than Manchester United. Yes, I'm sure Manchester United fans have had to, to exercise mindfulness. Recently, absolutely. Yes, they have. Please go ahead. <laughs> it's just still on that tangent. Um, my wife supports Motherwell Football Club, which is the neighbouring town. So we uh-huh. have a competition in the same division. Mm. And we used to go and see Motherwell games, but we spent less time watching the game and more time listening to the fans. <laughs> and that was an exercise in understanding mindfulness uh-huh. even though we were doing it unconsciously mm-hmm. the aggression the passion that's spilling over into completely unwarranted sort of insults and shouts uh-huh. against your own team so they're supporting the team and they're shouting at the players for making mistakes now uh. Is that a way to help the player be a better player? Unlikely. So from a mindfulness point of view, it is, it's, it's the same thing. It's when we train in football, you train in order to be better when you're actually playing football. So the training is a means to an end. With mindfulness, it's the same. So there are various things we can do which are not if you like, normal everyday activities. But if you do them with mindfulness, it will build up your quality and your skill of mindfulness so that in everyday life, which is the real thing, then you're more likely to be mindful. And that's where the meditation fits in primarily. I'm not that keen on the word meditation, partly because it was a poor translation from the original Indian languages, you know, um, Sanskrit and Pali, the word bhavana is a, an ancient Pali word, and it means to cultivate the mind. Now, that's a beautiful definition of what mindfulness actually is. So when we sit, as I do, twice a day, and if not more, and just sit with my hand on top of the other, gently closing my eyes like this, and I notice that beautiful fresh air flowing in, and then the lovely, quiet, peaceful air flowing back out, That's not a normal activity that a human being does. Normally we close our eyes to rest or we close our eyes to sleep. We don't close our eyes to notice something better. But when we do this in this artificial, informal way, taking ourselves away from everyday life into a quiet space, then have an inner quiet space, we can focus better. And when we focus better and notice things better, we are building up that skill of being mindful, in the hope, backed by science, that when we go back into the big, bad, busy world, we are more able to retain that mindfulness there in situations like family discussions in the business. 
So that's the practice, that's the means to the end. But the end point of mindfulness is that you're aware in every moment so that you don't screw up conversations, but you actually add to the overall aim of conversation. Or that you are just with the people you love and you're loving being with them and you're giving love to them. Or if you're in nature, you, as we mentioned just before we started, you know, but looking outside and seeing autumn and sunshine in Scotland, you, know, you walk in nature and you absorb with the eyes. Now, you don't think about what you see, you absorb it, you soak it in. You are a raw experience of sight, of beauty. You hear the bird song and you become the recipient of beauty. Now, that's doing two things in one. What's happening there is that you're experiencing sound and sight mindfully in the moment that you're actually doing something. So you're gleaning and you're getting the benefit from it. But you're also training the mind to be more mindful in the future. So there's a win-win. When you, whether you practice or whether you're doing it, like I'll pick up this mug and take a sip of water. And I notice the mug. I see the indigenous Australian design on it. I feel the smoothness and the coolness of the ceramic. I feel the water in my lips. I feel it in my mouth and it lubricates and it softens. That's me practicing mindfulness and enjoying the moment, but it's also going into my brain. And in that multitude of life experiences we've had, I've just now added one that is positive and mindful. So I become more positive and more mindful by a tiny amount each time I do this. So I'm building up this inner resource of being mindful in everyday life. Now, given that we have billions and billions of experiences in our lives, then adding one or two more is only going to make a tiny bit of a difference. But if you do that 20, 30 times a day, every day, for 10 or 20 years, you're starting to change entirely the inner mental makeup of who you are. Yes, I, I completely hear that. And I'm just thinking also, still focusing on the analogy of football and um, what you said about um, when you were watching these teams and how supporters can scream at the, the team they're supporting and telling them what they're doing wrong instead of uh, being mindful and helping them to, well, supporting and cheering them on even though uh, mistakes are being made. And I'm just thinking, what is your thought process with that and in in alignment with being mindful when integrating next gens into the family business. And also in, in the case of next gens, looking at now gens or current gens as they're running the family business. Because I think there's a lot of... Um, friction that happens between the generations as transition is happening, as one generation is growing up and uh, becoming, 
coming into adulthood and looking at taking over ownership or management of family businesses. And I think the issues that come to the forefront in a lot of discussions when it comes to continuity or governance is the issue of criticism. We, we can acknowledge that obviously the families have, can see that the, ne the next gen have got the potential to take the, the company to the next level. And they can also see that the current generation have been successful because there would be nothing to pass on if they had not been successful. Mm -hmm. So how important is mindfulness, especially when we are building generational transition and building on governance and speaking to each other instead of from a place of criticism, but a place of mindfulness? Yeah. Excellent questions. Now, I guess the first thing I would have to say is that every family is unique and that unique family becomes another unique family almost moment by moment by moment. So to explain that, if you think of all the likely traits and feelings that you experience even in a day. Some parts of the day are boring. Some parts of the day are really exciting. Some parts you're tired. Some parts you're lively and energetic. Some parts you're happy. Some parts are funny and you're laughing. Some parts may be sad news. Now, I won't go on, there's about another hundred of those. But you are a different person in each of those situations. So I think of myself, I'm stereotyping myself, is I'm an early morning person. When I get up, I am full of life. And so I'm energetic. Come 10 o'clock at night, I get tired. And when I get tired, I get less patient and I get grumpier. So the me who wakes up is a different person from the me who goes to bed, generally speaking. Now, given that, then what we tend to do in a family, in a family business context, is we stereotype each of us because we've known us for so long. So-and-so, well, they, they won't get that. They won't understand that. So-and-so, if I raise that, they will just criticise. And therefore, we, have, we come in with all these narrow assumptions about one another. So I'd say the first thing to do with being mindful is, in an ideal world, you would train everyone to be mindful at the same time. Now, that then causes an immediate problem in that some people might be enthusiastic about it and some people will say, no way, it's rubbish. No matter how much evidence you place, you say this is Harvard University's evidence, this is Oxford University's research. Now, if you can't get beyond that point, of all the family trying to be self-aware of their thinking, their reactions, their prejudices about one another, then you're working from a weakened position in terms of getting a good result. However, 
good, clear, intelligent thinking people can still create solutions, even if it's not a perfect environment. So those who are interested in being mindful just have to double up on their awareness. Now, because of my own prejudice, and we've all got prejudices, being aware of your prejudices is a really helpful, mindful thing. It doesn't mean you don't have them. But my father was a tough guy. You know, you, you and I have spoken about this before. He survived the labour camp. His mother died of starvation and so on and so on. Um, dad was a teenager. Now, when I s suggested something to my dad in business, I was almost anticipating the, that's a daft idea. <laughs> Boom. So you can be reticent about saying things, or you, can, you have to try and be skillful about how you present things. So but being aware of your prejudice should mean that you rethink, am I right in my thought about this person just now? And is it still my duty to raise certain things? And it's also my duty to raise it in a way that is nurturing and constructive, rather than just coming out with your first thought. Now, this is hard work. It's hard work having a conversation with a group of people anyway. But to have to continually think how you present things is challenging. So the more people who are mindful within the group, the better. Because when you present something, they won't be reacting with an instant response. They'll be taking it into consideration, thinking about it, and maybe then presenting a, a constructive alternative or just praise, say that's a really good idea. Praise doesn't happen often in a family, in a family business setting, because everybody's just thinking about the business. So even if something is a great idea, people may say, oh, let's do that. But it only takes three seconds to say, oh, brilliant idea, well done, let's do that. That nurtures the person. The other one is just, it's transactional, it's just, there's the next thing to do. So we need to work hard at that. I would say that, generally speaking, because of different education, particularly in school, um, things like mindfulness are now better known, and concern for the environment are better known, climate change, uh, biodiversity loss, and therefore when one generation in general may have a, a broader perspective that they're bringing into the equation than a senior generation who are maybe learning these things as adults retrospectively, so they're not as steeped in awareness and knowledge as others. Also, generally speaking, again, stereotype a little bit, the younger generation can be a bit impatient and fast to think, and maybe they need to slow that down a little bit to take consideration of others. While the senior generation can also be a bit narrow-minded because they have lived so many experiences that they think that can't work because I've been in business 30 years and 
things like that just don't work in my experience. In Zen, there's a fabulous phrase, there's a beautiful book by Shunryo, Shunryo Suzuki called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And that phrase, beginner's mind, is explained in the book where it says, an expert's mind sees few options. A beginner's mind sees all possibilities. So if you have been working in an industry or in a family business for 20, 30, 40 years, you tend to sometimes just blinker things because your life experiences have shown that that works, that doesn't, that works, that doesn't. So you then project into new ideas and new ways of thinking that close to you that, no, that can't work because it's not within my life experience of what works. Whereas a younger person can say, well, I don't know. I've never been in business before. Maybe we should give it a try. But these are generalizations just to be aware of for ourselves and for others so that we don't fall into the trap of making assumptions. Yes, and that does make sense um, for both sides of the divide. And sometimes there is a divide to really spend some time looking at the other side and um, trying to understand what the other side may or might may or may not have experienced in relation to their to their pathway through life because I think even your pathway itself can define a lot of your experiences and a lot of your thought processes as you go through them. And as my final question for today, I would like to question your opinion about empathy and mindfulness. Are these two different things or are these two complementary things? And when to exercise one or the other or both of them? Okay. To start with, I'd say, and I think this is very important in a family business context and sometimes helps set the scene for everyone. And that is at the end of all your family business life, everybody dies. You know, this is not an infinite process being alive. We have a temporary time in order to do the things we want to in life. And if the family can start with that empathetic perspective for each of them and start to explore what do you want to get done with this beautiful, precious, rare thing called being alive? And when you look at it from that point of view, you start to see and understand each other's core drives and core wants out of life. And if you can be empathetic to each perspective, then there is a much greater chance for you to willingly create a future pathway that tries its best to help everyone fulfill that journey, that process, um, especially for the senior generation, because all else being equal, they have less years left in which to fulfill my dreams. Now, from that perspective then, coming back to your question, I think the first thing is that 
Empathy can sometimes be an obstacle to clear understanding and clear communication because if you get too drawn into the other person's difficulties or perspectives, you can maybe stop seeing clearly yourself. In other words, if you're too empathetic, you stop being mindful because you can't see the whole picture. You're too drawn in, especially if it's somebody you love. Now, on the other hand, you don't want to be a cold Star Trek, Mr. Spock type character of saying, okay, so you have cancer. Let's see what we can do to make this better for you. So, so there's a, a balancing point. I think what mindfulness produces in us, which I think is more helpful than empathy, good though empathy is, is what's called in English compassion. But it's not actually the right, it's not the right translation again. The word is metta in, again, partly in Sanskrit, in, in ancient Buddhist texts. It means loving kindness. So you want to help the other person actively from a position of love. So kindness or loving kindness is, a, I think, a beautiful pillar or foundation from which you have conversation with, with family. I think without it, it's easy to splinter in a family. With it, you can almost get through anything. If everybody is in a loving and kind way towards one another, even when there's big differences in opinion, which is normal and natural, then you'll find ways through it. And so I, and there's a lot of evidence that shows that practicing mindfulness develops this kindness in us, makes us more altruistic um, naturally. So I think the two are the one, or one emerges from practicing the other. So I think that there's no need to think of them as two separate things. You nurture it and it will all come through. Interesting. Thank you once again, Martin, for joining me today and for sharing with me on the different aspects of mindfulness. I think every time we have a discussion on it, we, we dig a lot deeper than we, we went last time. And uh, it makes me a bit more conscious on some of the everyday things that I can do towards being mindful. And I think being a mom of three young ones, mindfulness is mm -hmm. necessary all the time. <laughs> it is necessary all the time. Is there any last parting words that you would like to share with our audience with regards to mindfulness and um, just how they can be better performers in their family business while exercising mindfulness? Yeah, just a couple of related final points. One that sounds a bit negative perhaps, one that's very positive, but there's two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. The first is that mindfulness is hard, hard work. I've been doing this for 22 years now and I still have the moments when I'm not mindful, still have moments when I don't say the right thing. So the downside of that is that you never get perfect. The upside is you get better at it. Over time, it's a cumulative process and 
each moment you are mindful, you have an opportunity to help yourself in life and to help other people in life. And if you think of it from that perspective, that just in a moment you can repair a row, you can nurture somebody's confidence, you can give someone hope for the future within a family business context. This is within a board meeting in a family or within a family meeting in a family business context. You can do these things and every moment is a brilliant gift to you to be able to do that. And if you think we have a tendency to think long-term in family businesses, and that's a great thing, but we shouldn't forget that moments are where you can make a difference. And we should spend more time being fully engaged and nurturing and giving in the moment. And that will, I think, help fulfill the plans for the future, much more so than sitting down writing and discussing five-year plans all the time. Yes, indeed. And um, is there any way uh, that our audience can get hold of you outside this platform? Social media handles, websites? Yeah, the simplest way, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my name is, like yours, unusual, um, so easy to find. It's Martin Stepik. Um, I am the only person other than one person in the Czech Republic who, who has the same name. So you'll find me easily if you just Google me or LinkedIn. I'm not on Twitter anymore. It was just too busy. Um, I am on Facebook. You can find me there. And also our um, mindfulness company, um, which is a social enterprise, is called 10 for Zen. If you Google any of those, you'll find me. and I'll be happy to hear from anyone. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Martin. And I appreciate your time. My pleasure, CT. Thank you for inviting me. Mm -hmm.